In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has no one to comfort her. This is the beginning of the book of Lamentations. It is not a text that we hear in the Easter season because this season is characterized by joy and hope and the promise of the resurrection, the promise of peace and contentedness. And I'll confess that I wrote a very different sermon for this morning. Next year, one of you is supposed to remind me before the ascension that I don't have to write a sermon because I already have one. Because today, I think we need to begin with Lamentations. If you don't know the book, it's a book about the humiliation and the suffering and the pain of the people of Israel after they are destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BCE. This is just one defeat of many in Hebrew scriptures, and yet it is part of a cycle of story after story where Israel repeats the same mistakes. First they hear God and they draw near, they're faithful, they're connected, and then they get distracted and they fall away. They stop following the law, they stop remembering God, and then they are lost again. But this time, this time the people believe that God actually has allowed for them to be carried off. Because not only is their home and their city destroyed, they're taken out of their home and taken to another place as prisoners to live in exile. And so the consequences of their actions, you might say, are too hard to ignore, too painful, the price is too high. And in everything we get from that period, it is remarkably clear that Israel knows they have messed up. And what's remarkable is they go on then to acknowledge their mistakes, to name the fact that they have gone astray. Now the Babylonians who conquered them would have been violent and pillaging and relentless. And when they took them back to Babylon, they would have been unable to live and to worship the way that they were supposed to, in the ways that made them a people, and in the ways that made them God's people. So understand that this carrying off also represents a loss of identity, a loss of connection, a loss of the things that make them who they are. And so what we hear in the book of Lamentations is just that. It is their lament, the passionate expression of grief and weeping and sorrow. I'd posit that most of us, maybe not all of us, and God bless you if not you, but most of us have had a moment or a season in our life when we have felt something like that. When it felt like everything was lost and all you could do is lament. To sit in it, in the middle of the grief and the ache, 
knowing that you couldn't fix it, you couldn't retrieve the thing that had been lost, or mend the thing that had been broken. Instead, you had to just live through it. This is around the same time that we get Psalm 137, which begins, by the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. The whole psalm is about crying out to the Lord in captivity in Babylon, knowing that their home is in ruins, unsure that they'll ever be able to return, unsure that anything will ever be the same. And so they cry out, and they sit in what they broke and the consequences of it. And then remarkably, despite their despair, they mend their ways. Israel tells the story of God to their children for generations, even though they live somewhere else. They try to practice God's law even though they're in a strange land and there are limitations on what they can do and what they can eat. They pass down their faith and they do their best in a hard situation. And even more than that, some of them are fierce and fearless. Some of them climb up into the upper echelons of society and government and they take offices where they're important to the workings of things. And they never forget who they are, their faith. And they use that and the power that they gather in order to protect each other and to pass down their story, to serve the Lord their God, even though they have no sign of hope that things will be what they were. Even though eventually there are generations who grew up in Babylon who never even saw what was. One of the pieces of this very big, long, weaving story was one of my favorite stories when I was a kid in Sunday school, and I can still remember the cartoon. I don't know if you, if you can put your mind on something like that when you if you went to church school, if you can remember things like that. But I have a vision in my head of the cartoon of this story that I swear will never leave me. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does anybody know this story? Let's see, at least Caroline's. Yeah, a couple of head, good, okay. If you don't know it, I'm gonna tell it, so lucky you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are close to King Nebuchadnezzar. They are some of those people who climbed up and became officials in the government. And at some point, Nebuchadnezzar decides that it's a really good idea to build a statue of himself out of gold and to put it in the center of town. Sounds like a good idea, right? And to force everyone to bow down to it. And in the cartoon, at least the first version of it, everyone is bowed down except these three people who are standing up. They refuse to bow down to an idol and to worship someone or something that is not God. And so Nebuchadnezzar warns them and he says, listen, we're gonna do this whole thing again and if you don't bow down, I'm gonna throw you into the fiery furnace. Sure enough, they don't bow down and they are thrown into the fiery furnace and this is the second cartoon with the fire everywhere and they're actually dancing in the cartoon which I find a little hard to believe truthfully. Dancing feels like a step too far. But the point of the story is that they live. God protects them. 
They are fierce and they are fierceless. They are fierce and they are fearless and they refuse to yield their faith. They refuse to give up what they know is right. And because they do that, the king himself is forced to contend with the fact that something has happened he can't explain with the power of the living God. And this actually is the domino that begins the story that eventually leads to Nebuchadnezzar sending them home peacefully, just literally letting them go because they are fierce and fearless. This morning, I think that we could change lamentations and write our own. How lonely sits the classroom that once was full of children. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. She has no one to comfort her. My friends, we too find ourselves in a cycle that we repeat over and over and over again. A cycle that ends in destruction and death. A cycle that always ends in our lamenting and our grieving. But a cycle that we have not yet ended. And it feels to me like we are carried away. Because we, as a nation, worship something other than God. As a Christian people, we are only a part of this nation. But I believe in many ways that we have been carried off too. We have forgotten how to live the story out loud. We have forgotten how to be fierce and fearless. And so we have forgotten how to love each other and how to protect each other. And we are exiled in a place that speaks a language that is not the language of love and worships guns and power and violence and money instead of the Prince of Peace. Now in polite society, we chalk that up to politics and debates. Most of us don't want to talk about politics anyway. We don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. And we definitely don't want to talk about our religion in public forums and how it impacts us. And so instead, we send our thoughts and prayers. And we change the filter on our social media accounts for whatever the cause of the day is. And in the endless circles of empty words, everything stays the same. And we find ourselves back in this place over and over again. Perhaps like me, you can remember, you think at least, that you can remember a time when this country was great among the nations. Perhaps that's the place you long to tell your children and your grandchildren about, a place of justice and peace, a place where everyone has equal rights, a place where we protect our children at all costs. We too have lost our identity. Have you noticed that we are the only country where this happens? In the entire world, this only happens here. 
And so we send our thoughts and our prayers, even as the gun lobby continues to make wealthy politicians, and as innocent lives are taken over and over again in malls and movie theaters and churches and schools. And we ask, I did it myself this week, when will it be enough? When will we be uncomfortable enough, broken enough, sad enough to acknowledge that we have gone astray and then try to fix it? In the gospel this morning, we hear Luke's very simple, very clean, no frills version of the ascension. Jesus tells the disciples, everything that's happened was supposed to happen because I needed to fulfill the scripture and I needed you to see it. Then he opens their minds so that they can see and understand everything that evaded them before. The traces of Jesus in scripture and prophecy, the teachings of his they couldn't understand, how exactly he fits into the ark of salvation that God has been planning since the beginning of time. Then he tells them he's leaving and that the Spirit is coming to clothe them in power. Then he goes out to Bethany with them. I've always thought because he doesn't need everyone in Jerusalem to see him going up, right? Small crowds are better. He blesses them as he goes, meaning he tells them he loves them and that they can do and were made to do hard things. And then he goes, leaving behind only the promise that the Spirit will come. And when the Spirit comes, and we'll sort of hear that story next week as we celebrate our confirmands, she gives them the power to do amazing things. They baptize, they absolve, they forgive, they work miracles, they heal people, they even raise people from the dead. They are fierce and they are fearless. They tell the story to everyone who will listen. They take risks. They leave things and people and relationships behind who won't come forward with them. They make a lot of people profoundly uncomfortable. And they risk their own lives for the sake of the truth. In fact, many of them die for the sake of the truth. They make their whole life about the story of resurrection. The story of salvation for all people. The promise that they can build this community where everyone is equal. They stake their lives on it. Not just someday in the clouds, but now. In person, in relationship, in connection. They call out the injustice around them. They name what is broken. And they set about in their little corner to fix it fiercely and fearlessly. We know from the book of Acts that each one of them is given different gifts, so some will become healers, some storytellers, some doctors, some teachers, some lawyers even, some politicians, some church planters, anything else you can imagine, and they take their faith with them into the work that they do. And they tell everyone they meet the story about how there is a different way to live, a different life to have. And for a while it works. And we know that it works because the story survived. We know that it works because it grew to the point actually that Constantine decided that he wanted that story for himself and then Christianity started to take over the world. But then, then 
because we are human, because we claim the same heritage, in fact, as the people of Israel, because we have the same stubborn, itinerant, stiff-necked, short-sighted ability to forget and to go our own way, just like the people of Israel, we find ourselves in the church as a Christian people repeating the same patterns over and over again. But for us too, there must come a moment, a turning point, when we realize that we've messed up, when we lament what is lost and repent our part in it and then try to change it. And while we're learning from our Jewish brothers and sisters, I'll share with you that I read a reflection this week from a rabbi that I follow on Twitter who went out of his way to make the point that in the Jewish faith, if you pray for something and you fail to act on it, to them, that is a sin. You have to pray for something and act on it. You have to do both, to pray for it and try to help. And I think so often when we're confronted with things like we saw this week, we lament and we pray and we offer up our aching and we want to be comforted. And then because we find our comfort, we fail to do the next thing, to take the next step, to actually be part of the solution and to try to fix what is broken. And if we look at scripture, we know that this was never God's way and it should not be ours. From the beginning of time, when we broke creation, God promised to send Jesus to redeem us, to save us. And God does that, to make it so that we could enter into salvation no matter what, to show us the way of love, to teach us how to respect the dignity of every human being, Jesus, when he was here, was constantly willing to break the rules, and he constantly made people angry. He did everything that he could to include the people who had been left out, or hurt, or excluded. He told the truth so much, and so often, that he didn't make people just uncomfortable. He made them so angry that they killed him. I hope my hope is that we have come to a place where the consequences are, of our actions are now too painful. Where we have lost too much to continue this way. Where each of us is willing to admit that we have gone astray. And that now in exile we must learn again to tell the story. And to hold on to the truth. And to have uncomfortable conversations and to work for common sense gun laws until we can be led home again with God's blessing. This too is a part of our baptismal promise, the covenant that we just remade a few weeks ago to respect the dignity of every human being. I hope that we have come to a place where the people of God will insist that it is enough, that we will confront ourselves and our families, and our friends, and people who think differently from us, that we will refuse to yield, to bow down, to worship, and put our trust in anything that is not God. 
ready instead to be fierce and fearless. Because I believe that we are already past the place where the cost is too high. There is already too much damage we cannot undo. Brokenness we cannot fix. Loss we cannot take back. We have allowed for endless debate and empty words to choose a love of violence instead of a love of peace. And in doing so, we have allowed for too many of those perfect, precious, tiny little temples, each one made in the image of God, to be destroyed. So there has been much talk this week about our need to lament. And I agree, that's true. We do. And we should hold our children closer, and we should mourn for Zion and for what's been lost. For the fact that we are so far from where we want to be. And for the fact that we have been carried off. And then rather than seeking to be comforted, I hope we will do something about it. No matter what it costs us. No matter how uncomfortable it makes us. Because if we pray about it and then leave it, We've missed something very important. And because we know that with God, there is always the promise of new life. And that if we tell the story, if we choose God, if we are willing to be fierce and fearless, God promises always to restore us, to restore our peace and our homes and our hearts just like God does for Israel, leading them home after captivity, after their amendment of life, with joy and with dancing and with celebration and hope, just like God does for us in Jesus, when all seemed lost, when all was broken, if we would only be fierce and fearless enough to follow him, to be clothed in power, and to use that power first and foremost to choose life and build peace. Amen. <laughs>